This episode is sponsored by the McCormick Center for Early Childhood Leadership at National Lewis University in Chicago. The center has this slogan, improving outcomes for children one leader at a time. Go to their webpage to find information about them. Just Google McCormick Center for Early Childhood Leadership at National Lewis University. Welcome to the podcast Research in Leadership in Schools and Early Childhood Settings. My name is Johannes Miesker. I am trained as a teacher, I have a master's degree in educational psychology, and I have a PhD. I work both research-wise and teaching-wise in the area of educational leadership. Well, I hope that uh, you will uh, gain new insight and knowledge from the interview that I will present to you today. Enjoy the interview. Yeah, so I am here at the Northwestern University outside of Chicago, north of Chicago. And with me is James Spillane. He's a professor in uh, uh, leadership or policy or what is this? Human development and social policy. There you got it. <laughs> and today we are going to talk about a forthcoming book and the book is called Navigating the Principal Ship, Key Insights for New and, Inspi- and Aspiring School Leaders. And the book is written by James uh, Spillane and Rebecca Lovenhout. And what is kind of the main message of this book, uh, James? Uh, the, the main message here is um, principals encounter problems, like we all do, in their work. Um, but they encounter two types of problems. They encounter the ordinary, everyday problems that uh, can be solved uh, with careful diagnostic work and uh, some design work. But they also encounter a a very particular type of problem. This is what Larry Cuban used to refer to as really wicked problems, Mm -hmm. which uh, several people have uh, defined as uh, dilemmas. And dilemmas, by definition, cannot be solved or resolved. They have to be managed. And this book is really about trying to help principals through the accounts of actual principals over their first five or six years on the job to recognize these dilemmas and to, uh, rather than trying to solve them, to accept them as dilemmas and to develop coping strategies uh, so that they can actually uh, live with them and and manage them uh, over time. And that's what the the focus of the book is. Several people have written, Larry Cuban has written about dilemmas, uh, Maggie Lampert has written about uh, the dilemmas of teaching, and um, it's it, it's a very important um, idea, I think, especially in an age where it's all about uh, uh, you know this kind of problem solving mentality has taken over that uh, everything's a problem, everything can be solved. We just need the right data. We just need to crunch it in the right way. And yes, there's there are lots of things like that, but. Uh, we should also recognize that uh, not everything's a problem that can be solved. 
And, and and you have kind of done research on new principles. Is this kind of particular important in in the first uh, period of your principalship to focus on these dilemmas? Um, I mean, I think the reason we uh, studied new principles uh, is in part that um, they, because they're new to the job, they notice everything. Uh, unlike somebody who's been in the job for six, seven, eight years where everything becomes taken for granted, uh, they see uh, the uh, surprises, the uh, things that... Uh, because they're coming from outside into this job, they begin to see things that uh, people who've been in the job for a long time would not see. Are there the dilemmas particular? I think some of them may be particular, but you know we still have principles five, six years. All of the principles we followed for five or six years, uh, a lot of the dilemmas persist, um, uh, uh, which means that they're still there and they still have to try and figure out how to uh, to uh, live with them, if you will. Uh, maybe uh, some of my listeners who are principals and who have just started, they will think, okay, so it's hard enough just for me to to get my feet on the ground in this job. And now James, me want, he wants me to do an extra job with kind of uh, seeing all the dilemmas and uh, dealing with them. What, what do you think about maybe that thought? Um, actually, I think rather than um, making the life of the principal... Um, Uh, more difficult, I think accepting and recognizing dilemmas and being able to talk about them uh, better reflects the reality of the job and maybe, uh, you know, can help principals work with stakeholders to uh, say, look, this is not something that can be solved and here's why, uh, rather than being forced into trying to solve everything. So I, I actually see it more as a... Um, Uh, helping the principal uh, manage what is already a really, really difficult, if not impossible, job. And 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 how shall they deal with these dilemmas? Is is it kind of to set a certain um, a period for reflections every day, or 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 how should they kind of deal with these dilemmas? I, I think the first thing is recognizing them, and that's uh, often we don't think like that. So one of the big dilemmas for the, for example, is. Uh, the principals are faced with the tested ch child versus the whole child. And we live in a, uh, I don't know about the Faroe Islands, but in the U.S. and in many other countries, it's all about performance metrics, attendance, uh, achievement scores, etc. And principals, uh, even though they recognize that they have to attend to these, there's no way around them. I mean, uh, some... Uh, Observers in the ivory tower say, "Oh, they should resist," but you can't resist this. I mean, their jobs depend on it. Uh, uh, furthermore, are you going to uh, tell students not to take these tests, and then, uh, you know, as a result, a whole generation uh, could fail? Uh, so, the the at the same time, while principals recognize that they're being held to these metrics. They are very ambivalent because the tests don't measure things that they think are critical. Um, okay, they measure a little bit of what they want kids uh, to know, but they want kids to know a lot more than mathematics and how to read and write. 
they want them to uh, develop as you know holistically and it's not just cognitive development but also their human social and physical development so they're torn between uh, these two images of what it might mean to educate a child um, are they going to solve that no not unless there's a revolution that wipes out standard standardized tests and stuff like that uh, so they're going these this is a a dilemma that they're just going to have to live with. I think talking about it, not only with staff, but also talking about it with stakeholders, uh, can um, uh, have teachers and stakeholders develop a better appreciation for, you know, this is reality. Uh, this is not something that, uh, you know, if I keep shouting about it, you're going to find a solution. And it's your approach then to say that, okay, we deal with with tests as we are supposed to do, and then we also deal with a more whole child and develop uh, kind of right citizens and stuff like that? Or is your approach actually to bridge these two, to use what children are learning in maths and English and kind of all the contents together with also being or becoming uh, good citizens? That, that's what I think principals have to do, is to really try and, yes, have uh, make sure kids are prepared to do well in math tests or uh, English language arts tests or uh, science tests, but also to create opportunities for kids to uh, learn art, to uh, engage in sports, to become good citizens. Uh, it's not easy to do um, because the they're rewarded for one set of metrics but not for the other, although I think some stakeholders like parents really value the other set. Uh, the non-standardized uh, uh, test uh, kind of outcomes. So it's it's something I think you you can't. It's not either or. You just have to work on both in uh, in tandem. And and are there maybe some others uh, typical dilemmas that you came across in this study? Um, yes, there were um, th th there are several that. Um, really come out in the uh, in the work um, there is a one thing is this overbearing responsibility one of the biggest uh, <clears throat> one of the biggest uh, challenges or surprises actually that principals face in the first three months is the sense of ultimate responsibility now there is a lot more responsibility for them um, But that's not a surprise. Uh, what is a surprise is that the buck now stops with the principal. And uh, these principals speak very explicitly about, I never saw this coming. I had done most of the job as an assistant or deputy principal. Uh, there was no surprise uh, on that, but this I never saw. And they talk about really... Uh, you know, as an assistant principal, being able to go home in the evening uh, on a Friday and forget about school until Monday. But now that's no longer the situation because if something goes wrong, they are the person that's uh, responsible. And this sense of ultimate responsibility is really overwhelming uh, to them. Uh, you know, they talk about waking up at 3 a.m., Uh, worrying about uh, particular things they needed to do or uh, attend to. Um, and again, this sense of ultimate responsibility is not going away. Uh, I think in part it um, is a reflection of, A, the expectations of society, the principal, the, 
headmaster, that's the person who's responsible for our school and our kids. It's also how government policy, uh, they hold schools, the school principal accountable. And I think it's also a sense of uh, the, the people who enter this job, they feel responsible for it. Uh, and it's not just they feel responsible for kids, they also feel responsible for the adults that work in the school. Um, so there are ways of, you're not going to be able to say, oh, give me five years and I'll no longer feel ultimately responsible. You're still going to feel ultimately responsible. The issue is, how do you uh, deal with uh, this dilemma? Uh, so uh, one thing we find is that people delegate responsibility to others. Um, it helps. Uh, it doesn't get rid of the problem. Um, they, um, they begin to learn that you have to tackle both the managerial and the instructional, that you know, there's a huge pressure to be an instructional leader, but they find... I don't get all the, this time to be in the classroom. Well, they have to accept that, yes, I want to do this instructional part and I must do it, but there's also this managerial and it's reality, even if it's not the ideal that scholars talk about. Um, I think they begin to carve out shared decision-making with others. That helps uh, some with the ultimate responsibility to cope with it, not to actually solve it because it, it can't be solved. Um, this, I mean, the unfortunate thing about this sense of ultimate uh, responsibility is that, uh, and we end the book with this, um, it sets up what uh, perhaps is the ultimate dilemma. And this is the dilemma between, um, uh, how do you, it's, it's between work life and home life. And uh, these principals work long hours, including weekends. Uh, some report arriving to school at 7 a.m., leaving at 6 or 7, long days. And they all speak um, very explicitly and uh, poignantly about the fact that uh, their family lives, their kids' lives, uh, uh, how do they manage that? How do they take care of their home lives? How do they take care of themselves personally? Like... Uh, working out, uh, being fed, when in fact this job is all-consuming. And this is a tension that, um, you know, there's been a, one of the principals talks about one of her colleagues who died on the job and uh, issues like this. I think this is an issue that we, it, it is beginning to emerge in the literature, but uh, um, we still don't know a lot about it, but it's a critical issue I don't think it's unique to the U.S., but then again, um, that's an empirical question. And these are all urban principles, and I think that's very important to keep in mind. And they, um, even though there's a, a range of schools, many of them um, <clears throat> uh, serve uh, student populations that live in poverty, that have uh, come from uh, racial and ethnic backgrounds that have been marginalized. Many of them serve large immigrant communities um, where there are multiple languages spoken. Uh, and this is really another huge challenge they face in, in, a, uh, in the contemporary uh, society where we're cutting back on government programs, social services, etc., these uh, schools, and school principal in particular, feel that they have to pick up the slack. 
so everything from providing breakfast for kids to providing other social services like mental health services, um, they feel that you know if they really want to address learning, uh, they can't um, uh, not they can't they can't afford to ignore these other um, needs that not only the children but their families face um, because of uh, a society that increasingly the government is not prepared to spend on key services. So when you talk about that, the principal has to, or he has this feeling of being responsible for everything, kind of the ultimate responsibility, and you talk about the dilemma between having your home life to go together with work life, then I assume the the answer is, is something to do with uh, personal leadership or or kind of taking care of yourself. Yes, but the uh, unfortunate thing is that in many of these principles, you know, every time we spoke with them, uh, three months on the job, the end of the first year, the end of the second year, everyone talked about. I need to work on this. I need to manage this. And still, in year five or six, the same issues um, kept coming up. Um, I think the job is is structured in a way, uh, and the expectations we have are such that uh, people find it very difficult to manage this dilemma. Um, that I think home life, family life, uh, suffers, um, which in some ways is kind of ironic, given that these are the custodians of our next generation, yet we're asking them to uh, sacrifice their own families for the sake of succeeding and uh, doing well with other people's children, which uh, I think this is an issue we have not uh, sufficiently focused on. You know, we the, the dominant narrative in a lot of the media in the U.S. is principals are bad, they're not working hard enough, they're not, they don't have the skill. Nobody talks about the impossibility, if you will, of the job. The interesting thing, these principles, most of them, 60% were, um, actually more than 60%, were still principles uh, six years on. So people persisted. Um, so there's this uh, fascinating tension between uh, principles telling us this is the best job in the world, uh, I love it, I couldn't imagine doing anything else, and the next sentence, this is like a pressure cooker. Uh, I feel like I'm going to explode. Um, so there's this uh, paradox of sort. In I'm loving the job, yet there's uh, severe pressure on me as principal. And 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 when there is uh, this uh, pressure, what, what what kind of is is it for the principal? Are we talking about I don't know existentialism where? Where you, as a principal, will have to say to yourself, "I am the one I am, that I am, and I cannot fix everything, but I will stay in my position, in my yeah role, and and I will try to make it as good as possible." Or, or what is the answer? I, I don't think there's a, an easy answer, but people try various uh, things. Like one of the other thing, <coughs> one of the things that comes from this sense of ultimate responsibility is. Uh, 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 Tasks that uh, and uh, so many tasks, but so little time uh, to get them all done. So uh, you feel ultimately responsible. Therefore, you feel even though you delegate, I want to make sure it's done right. Uh, 
uh, I, uh, you know, I'm not sure. Let me watch, make sure this is the way this person is going to do it. Uh, but that doesn't address the uh, underlying dilemma you're facing. Uh, so they, they create, they do things like scheduling, uh, trying to carve out parts of the day where they can focus on these sorts of tasks. Uh, they do things like distributing uh, leadership to others and engaging others. Uh, they try to build uh, educational infrastructures in their school that carry part of the work, uh, like you know, grade-level teams, uh, professional learning communities, uh, so they don't feel they have to be there all the time. Um, they... Um, so, so these, but, but again, I think it's important that I don't think these are going to uh, 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 solve uh, stuff. They're going to help them manage it at best. And and uh, even though this book is on principles in their first six years, is there a learning that can be drawn out, which is for all principles, also for them who have been in the job for for many years? Yes, I think there's a lot. I mean, the, the beauty of studying new principles, especially over five or six years, is that the job is new to them. They see things that uh, people who have been in the job for five, ten, uh, fifteen years do not see, uh, because you know it's like any job, right? We take it; it, it becomes tacit knowledge. Um, we take it for granted. Um, but these, because of their uh, the novelty of the situation of the of the job, they uh, surface a lot of things that uh, experts have um, are, are tacit for experts. So um, what you, I think some of the, many of the messages, many of the dilemmas that we document here are ones that uh, I think uh, all principals, regardless of what stage they are in their career, face and have to manage. Uh, whether they have better uh, ways of coping with these dilemmas or not, we don't know. Uh, but I think these are these are not unique uh, to the uh, new principles that we studied, and I think a lot of people who you know pick up the book and read it will say, "Ah, yeah, that makes sense to me." Um, you know, uh, things like uh, gaining uh, the not only the um, uh, commitment of staff, which is can often be a big issue in some of these schools. Uh, but uh, getting the staff to uh, commit in a, in a coordinated way. So there's this challenge of coordination that uh, in many of these schools, you know, you have some uh, teachers who are very committed to improving and others who think we're doing fine, it's the kids are not very good. Uh, but but you can't just get uh, 20 teachers, you know, motivate 20 teachers. You have to motivate them in a way that they work together uh, towards some agreed-upon goals and stuff like that. Uh, so there's coordination, there's commitment. And these are difficult challenges because often we have this sense in schools, they're kind of flat organizations. We have to treat everybody the same. Not just we have to treat all the kids the same, but teachers expect... Uh, the school administration to treat them uh, fairly, i.e. in the same way. So, but the reality is if you want to to get staff committed, if you want to motivate them, some teachers are already motivated. Others just don't want to change. Uh, you have to treat them differently in order to enable change. That creates uh, a huge um, 
challenge for principles. Uh, you know, this this egalitarian notion uh, is threatened because oh, why didn't you uh, talk to this other teacher in that way? So, well, or even when you select people to take uh, teachers to take responsibilities for different things in the school, that's seen as oh, you're favoring them over me. Uh, now, it, there's no solution to this, but it's something you have to try and manage uh, as, a, as a school leader. I don't think that's particular to uh, novices, or I think it's something that persists in schools across time. Um, and I think there, there are strategies that people use for coping with it, like being transparent, saying the reason I'm putting this person in this position is um, our when you do have to say to somebody, you know, you really need to improve your practice, here is why. It's not just, you know, you're not working hard enough. It's, you know, I'm worried about this, this, and this. Um, so transparency can be, I think, an important uh, coping strategy in the work. And, and you have, um, or the two of you have looked at the new principles. Is your sample large enough to say if there's a difference between uh, males and females? Uh, you know, we haven't pulled that apart, but several, um, I think it's one of the issues that in future analysis we're going to, there's an, another book that I'm working on out of this, a more academic book. This is a practitioner book uh, that the ASCD will publish. Um, one of my colleagues who uh, I uh, gave access to the data for has a very interesting paper, uh, which I can send you, uh, on uh, not so much uh, looking at male and female, but she looks at female uh, depending on race and how they think about their style of leadership. And it's a very interesting read that... Uh, I can send you and uh, so so uh, Caucasian or white uh, female teach female principles compared with uh, African American and uh, Latina uh, principles and uh, it's another story. We'll take it in another podcast. Uh, An another another I interesting issue here though that is uh, and this is <clears throat> not so much in this book but a key finding from the work is the emotion labor the affective dimension of the work that often goes um, unexamined or is kind of a, at the sideline of work on school leadership and by that I mean you know we talk about more of the work in terms of cognitive or the behavioral but we talk much less about all the emotional work that principals have to do <coughs> uh, for example uh, principals have to show emotions they don't feel. Um, I mean, principals tell us of situations where a parent comes in and curses them out and lets them really, gets very angry with them and they have to remain calm when they actually they feel really upset. Mm. Uh, but the opposite also happens. They have to be very stern and expel a student they know full well that the probability that if they expel the student that that student will never come back. In other words, that student is out of the system, is more than likely a dropout. And they show the stern, in, in delivering that they have to put on the stern face, 
but they feel the direct opposite. They feel really upset and troubled by it. Um, this is a, in the other book. There's a whole chapter on emotion work, and uh, th this is one of the most striking things that is coming out of this analysis. The emotion work, somewhat in the tradition of. Uh, Arlie Hotchchild and others who have written about emotion labor, but most of the work has been done on like air, air, um, air staff, air, um, what do you call them? Uh, you know, when you're on an airline, um, host, air hostess, air uh, host, oh, okay. uh, flight attendants. Flight attendants. Flight attendants. Yeah. There's been some work done on wait staff and restaurants, but it's all over um, uh, this work. The, the emotional. Uh, labor that they have to perform um, which I think is in part contributes to a lot of the stress that they feel yeah we'll leave it with that uh, James and if my listeners want to kind of find more about what you're doing and about your books and papers where can they go on the internet uh, they can go to www.distributedleadership.org perfect thank you very much thank you I appreciate it. We have come to the end of this podcast. I hope you have enjoyed the interview with a researcher in the area of schools, early childhood settings and social care settings. We have a group on Facebook. You are welcome to join us there. You can have news about podcasts and we can discuss issues being brought up in the interviews. Just go on Facebook and in the search field, search research in leadership in schools, early childhood settings and social care settings. Well, the last thing for me is just to wish you a marvelous day. Bye bye.